This message was presented at the GYC 2010 No Turning Back Conference in Baltimore, Maryland. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. I just want to wish you all a very good morning. Uh, The Bible says that God's mercies are new every morning, just like the sunrise. Some days you just got to open your curtains and remember, as the sunrise is new, so are the mercies of God. Doesn't matter what you did yesterday, it's all clean. New day. So now we can start our day with a message from my good sister Tondo, and then go into some practical ways of how to maintain commitment. You know, I really want to go on record saying, before we pray, and I ask one favor, that I'm really excited about having Tondo speaking in the mornings. We've, this is the first time we've ever had a female devotional speaker at GYC. And to be so young and on fire, because Tondo is on fire, you don't want to get too close to the stage, you know. <laughs> she starts preaching. You may be ignited. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really thankful for that because our church is really lacking good quality female mentors who actually know how to wrestle with the things that women in the church wrestle with. Um, I don't have time to go into all of that, but I've been recently studying into the, just the the, the situation of women in society, and there was a recent presentation on uh, TED, Technology Education and Design, their website on the rise of women in society, and the fact that this recession that we're in, they've actually quoted it in newspapers as calling it not a recession, but a he-session, because men are actually more impacted by the job market than women. And the fact that women are now getting more PhDs, more degrees, they actually are rising almost 10 times as fast as men are in high-paying positions in society. So we recognize, as is quoted in the Bible, where are the men? And so if you're a young man in this seminar, I just want to personally challenge you to take up a new role, and in our first challenge to commitment, I will make a more specific appeal to men, but just personally because I I look at Tondo and I'm thankful, as well as some of the other young ladies that I recognize in this seminar, that you really need to take your places as role models, spiritual mentors to younger young ladies in the church. Very, very important because the issues that we grapple with, we don't have to grapple alone. We can learn from the mistakes of others, and as my father would say, Experience is the best teacher, but a fool learns by no other means. If you learn from someone's life, you can get the point without the pain. Can you say amen? Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm all about avoiding the pain, getting the points. Let's pray together. And I need a timekeeper. Can I I ask someone to do that for me? You can do that for me. What's your name? Ian? I-A-N. All right, Ian, so I'll expect you to be my timekeeper, so when I'm looking for time, just let me know where we are. All right, let's go ahead and pray together. If you can kneel with me, it's possible. It's good to approach the Lord humbly. Mighty God, everlasting Father, we are so grateful for the gift of life. We are grateful, Lord, because we didn't deserve to wake up this morning. Not because we were so righteous yesterday, not because we were at GYC and we responded to some appeals, but God woke us up because he had a purpose. There was a message to be received, 
and yet a message to be carried. Lord, commitment is so hard. We fail you so often. And even though information is coming in this seminar, perhaps one of the most powerful moments we could spend in this seminar is just in prayer, asking God to teach us, to give us the spirit and the resolve and the resolution to continue on in the Christian life in spite of the issues that we deal with. Guide us now, Lord, as we open your word. Grant us your spirit that he may travel from heart to heart and from mind to mind impressing upon the soul pictures of Jesus that will inspire us. This is our prayer, and we trust that you'll help this to be our experience. So we ask in Jesus' name, let all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. Burn the boats. Now, yesterday afternoon, we dealt with the topic, Slaves of God. Even my good sister Tondo brought it up this morning. If you came to my seminar yesterday, you were probably like, I know what that word is in the Greek. It's doulos. Amen. I was proud sitting there watching. I was like, okay. I said, people from my seminar better respond. <laughs> doulos. So we looked at Slaves of God yesterday. And the fact that this is a New Testament metaphor for total devotion to Christ. Now, for those of you who didn't join us yesterday, you'll have to go ahead and wait till it gets on the GYC website. I don't have time to do a review, but you can connect with one of these other young people who were here, took copious notes, and go and get that information. But we're going to move forward with challenges to commitment. But yesterday, we dealt with the fact that commitment is not a choice that we make. It's actually an identity issue. We think that we're in an individual relationship, contractual perhaps, with Jesus. But in actuality, the Bible never terms us as, as friends in this kind of sense. But many of the apostles, many of the young ladies who were used in the word of God to powerfully move the world for Christ, when you ask them who they were, how they viewed themselves, it was as a slave of God. And we said that a slave emphasizes three points. How many? First one being completely owned by the master. A servant renders service, a slave belongs to someone. Then we also saw that he's not only completely owned, but he's also completely available for the master's use. You don't get to serve where you want to serve if you're a slave. You don't get to take a break when you want to take a break when you're a slave. And the last thing we said is the slave is completely dependent upon his master. Everything that he receives and has doesn't belong to him. And so we, 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 we fleshed that out a little bit, saw that some of the benefits of being a slave of God, Revelation 7, 3, the slaves of God are the ones who are sealed in the last days. The slaves of God, according to Acts chapter 2, and I believe it's a verse 18, slaves of God receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So there are benefits to being a slave of Jesus. But we recognize that becomes a commitment to identity. So today, let's talk about challenges to this commitment, to this identity sense. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the book of Hebrews in a bird's eye view. Maybe you've never studied the book of Hebrews, but it's come to be one of my favorite books in the Bible. And the reason why is that the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians written to Jewish Christians. Now, we know that, turning your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6, 
and verse 10. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. When you're there, say amen. If you're not there, say have mercy. All right, if you didn't bring a Bible, say help us, Lord. Okay, some of us need help. Coming to GYC with no Bible. You know, the first tenant of the spirit of GYC is a respect for Scripture. Got to have your Bibles with you. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10, the Bible says here with us, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and your labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and what? Do minister. Now, do is present tense. Amen? So as a result of that, these are individuals who not only have ministered to the people of God, but are presently ministering to the people of God. The saints. Saints meaning in the actual literal word, holy ones. So now these are the beloved of God, the children of God. Now these individuals who this letter is written to are Christians, but apparently very familiar with Judaism. And so a lot of the illustrations that the author uses is to show the superiority of Jesus to the Judaic system. We also can conclude that they're Hellenistic Jews. Now, that's just a fancy word to say that the Jews, when they were scattered abroad, all throughout the Grecian kingdom or whatever, they would be in what we call diaspora. So, for example, if let's say you're from Africa and then you end up in America and then there's Africans in France and Africans in Holland and Africans in South America, we would say these would be Africans in diaspora spread all over. Now, these Jews, apparently, because this letter was written in Greek, we would understand they must be somewhat familiar, obviously, with the Greek language. They could read the letter and understand it. It wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek. Now, this is a first part. Now, the second aspect is the spiritual condition of these individuals who are the audience. Now, turn with me. We're still already in uh, Hebrews 6, verse 9. Let's look at verse 9. He says, but beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. And then he goes and explains that God is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love. Turn with me to chapter 10. Chapter 10, beginning in verse 32. You there? Say amen. All right. Chapter 10, verse 32, the Bible says, but call to what? Remembrance but called to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions, partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock by, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. For you had compassion of me in my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. That means you were happy to be robbed by someone knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. These people started well. You can't call to remembrance what did not happen in the past. So if I tell you, do you remember the first time you came to GYC? In order for me to make that statement to you, and it's meaningful, you must have had to come to GYC. So he says, call to remembrance the former days after you were illuminated with the gospel. You were suffering all kinds of persecution, problems, and trials in your life, but you received it joyfully. So these are Christians who started well. Number two, 
we notice that they didn't continue well. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, and we're going to look at here in verse 11. Are you there? All right, just say amen. The Bible says, Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have a need of milk and not of strong meat. Now, I want you to understand something here. We're going to come back to this passage later in the seminar. The Bible, the Bible is telling us here, even though he says in chapter 10, remember the former days after you were first illuminated, he says. When you first received the gospel, when you first fell in love with Christ, but where you are today, you have need that one teach you again. The word again suggests you were taught before. But now, you are still in the same place you were when you first accepted Jesus. That's a problem. So these are Christians who started good in the Christian life. They were excited about evangelism. You know what I'm talking about when you first came to Jesus. I remember when I first came into the church eight years ago. I would go anywhere and do anything in evangelism. Anything, anywhere, anyone. I gave a speech that semester that I was being converted at my college at the time in Georgia, and they said, what do you, we, need, we need you to do a persuasive speech. So I did it on vegetarianism. And I got up front, and I was like, look, these are the reasons why you need to be a vegetarian. And <laughs> right in the middle of there, I found a statistic that said if America, just America, ate a vegetarian meal, one meal a day, vegetarian, we could have enough food to feed the world. That's how much meat we eat. Do you know, when I finished that persuasive speech, half of the class was literally angry with me. <laughs> they said, I want my meat. Okay, sister, I'm, I just fulfilling an assignment. That's all I'm doing. And I found that I was bold, I wasn't afraid. But nowadays, after a while, you get in the church, people are like, hey, what are you going to do your speech on? Well, you know, I don't want to offend the teacher and... All of a sudden, we're not in the same place of zealousness and courage. Somebody know what I'm talking about. Before, you had no problem approaching your boss and saying, you know, I know I work in a medical field, but I just prefer not to work on Sabbath. I'll take that one amen. We're like, you know, I just don't have the courage as I used to. This is the condition of the Hebrew Christians. And if you understand what that's talking about, then this book is for you. It also we see in Hebrews chapter 3, go with me to chapter 3. Let's look at verse 12. They also had issues of faith. Does anyone here have issues of faith? Amen? It's hard to believe everything the Bible says all the time. It says here, beginning in verse 12, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of what? Unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Issues of faith and of perseverance. Have you ever thought about giving up in the Christian life? 
I remember I was doing some canvassing. I was running a canvassing program, and I went out with one of my students at a door. And they said she had met a man who was a Satanist. And she wanted me to come to help. <laughs> I'm like, OK. And I don't know what this thing is. We fear the devil more than we fear God. Amen. Let somebody become demonically possessed in this room, many of you will leave. I don't know what to do. I need to run. And this has happened in actual churches that some of my missionaries have actually been to. Demonic possession right there in the church. Nothing new. It's in the Bible. Luke chapter 4. Jesus was preaching and people were demonically possessed. So anyway, I came to the door and this guy had the black fingernail polish, all the tattoos and the earrings and all these different things. And while we're talking, he's like, you know, Sebastian, that's your name. He said, you know, I really appreciate what you're doing, going door to door and encouraging people to serve the Lord, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, you know, I respect that. And, you know, I was raised in a Christian home. But he said, you know, here's the issue, though. If I do what you're doing, then the devil's going to fight me. The devil's going to bring problems in my life. And, you know, after a while, I just got tired. And I said, if I just serve Satan, he'll leave me alone. I know you know what I'm talking about. There are days when you just want to give up. I was in South Africa, and a man said he'd been struggling with masturbation for 10 years. I had to first thank him for struggling for 10 years. Amen. It's hard to fight for 10 years. You know what I'm talking about if you grew up in a home where you don't have a good relationship with your parents. It's hard to fight with your mom for 10 years. After a while, you just shut down. I'll just accept we don't have a relationship. I'll just accept me and my father just don't see eye to eye. I'll just accept me and my sister are just too much not alike. You get tired of fighting. Striving to be in a relationship with someone that doesn't want to be in a relationship with you. Fighting to maintain a friendship that a person doesn't want to maintain with you. And many of us, as we said yesterday, the Christian life is not about how you start. It's not even so much how you finish, it's if you finish. Steadfast unto the end, and these were Christians, having gone through persecution joyfully, were in the midst of a crisis where they were actually thinking about abandoning the Christian faith, ready to turn back. And we see, as this last point says, believers but needed exhortation to press on in the faith. This is the backdrop of what we're going to talk about today. Challenges to commitment. And so the author of Hebrews gives five warnings. And this is the theme. The purpose of why this book was written was to help readers persevere in the Christian faith by doing three things. I want you to notice these very carefully. The first one is showing the superiority and finality of Jesus over Judaism. What are you going to turn back to? And so therefore, in order to encourage someone to persevere in following Jesus, what you must show them is that Jesus is superior to whatever you can turn back to. Why would you turn back to something less? We'll get to that in the third seminar in more detail and more specificity. 
And the third one is the warning of the terrible consequences of turning away from Christ. Do you understand what you lose if you leave Jesus? This is his purpose. So he gives five major warnings. The first one is the danger of neglect. The second one is the danger of unbelief. The third one is immaturity and not growing in the Christian life. The fourth challenge to commitment is we are tempted sometimes to reject what we know to be true. You know how we like to rationalize. Once we become convicted, you know what? This skirt needs to go. Well, you know, it suits these purposes. We start rationalizing. And we're now teetering on the ground of rejecting what we know to be true. That's a dangerous place. And the last one is just a flat-out refusal to submit. I want you to understand something. I want to suggest to you this morning that this is actually a progression. It starts off with neglect. So I'm going to spend the most time on that one. And then we're going to hit those other ones. Have you guys copied these down yet? Not yet? All right. I'm going to give you some time. In the meantime, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. We look at the first warning. This challenge to commitment that we deal with is this challenge of neglect. The challenge of neglect. So while some of you are still writing, I'm going to go ahead and read this. For those of you who are with me, the Bible says, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Notice that the first warning is the challenge of neglect. Now, let's define the word neglect for a moment. Neglect means the failure to care for properly. What does it mean? Properly. Not to pay proper attention to. To disregard. It's just straight from the dictionary. Now, I want you to notice something that by the end of the book, we get to the word refuse. But he starts off with, hey, let's not neglect. So this whole, this whole concept is he says, as he's dealing with the fact that Jesus is superior to angels. He says, God didn't tell any angel, your throne, oh God. Tondo dealt with that this morning. God didn't say that to an angel. He said that to the son. Jesus is actually a more perfect revelation of God than any of the prophets. Superior to the angels. Therefore, if he says, follow me, he says in verse 2, for if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by who? I can't hear you. Spoken by the Lord. Now, the Lord versus angels. 
When angels speak, the word actually goes according to what they say. Now, if the word given by angels was steadfast, it held on, it went to its conclusion, how shall we escape if we neglect the salvation that the Lord talked about? So this issue of neglect, he's saying, look, our issue is initially our challenge to our commitment in the Christian life is our failure to give proper attention to the things that we have heard. How many of you actually leave every sermon with a decision to make? Or are we comfortable with the fact, oh, I've heard about Samson before, but you're still falling in sexual immorality. You can hear about Samson and Delilah a hundred times, but until you make a decision, if you don't give proper attention to the gravity of what the Bible is trying to get across to you, this man was gifted. Talent and genius is no barrier to sin. So he says this issue of neglect, failure to give proper attention to the things that we have heard. And in verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have what? Heard. Is that present tense or past tense? What is it? All right. Now, this is the first thing I want you to put in your notes. One of the first ways of dealing with your issues of commitment and maintaining commitment is start with the things that you have heard. I want you to take some time when you get home from GYC or maybe even while you're here at GYC. Rather than hang out with your friends or checking your Facebook when you get home after the evening meeting, sit down with a piece of paper, and I want you to write down all the seminars you attended, all the messages you've heard thus far, and maybe even sermons on Sabbath at your home church. Write down the messages, and if you can't remember, that's how you know you're in danger. Already that's giving you your condition. We are now upon the New Year's. 50-something sermons have been preached in your hearing. That's not even counting if you went to prayer meeting and had your own personal devotions. We can start piling it up. These are the things that you have heard. And how is it that your life is no different? Let me tell you something. The power, <laughs> the, 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 the problem is not with the Bible. The seed is not the problem. It's the soil. Hearts that are failing to give proper attention. Now, I want you to notice the statement from Steps to Christ, page 21, as we deal with this issue of neglect, because we're going to deal with this a lot more practically. Christ connects fallen man in his weakness and helplessness with the source of infinite power. Can you say amen? But in vain are men's dreams of progress. In vain all efforts for the uplifting of humanity if they what? Neglect the what? One. One source of hope and help. In vain. All your dreams of progress. All your dreams of uplifting humanity. Your own life or the lives of other people. In vain. If you neglect just one thing. Now, if you think neglect is something that's minor, I want to take you to a passage in the Bible. Turn with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 4. Exodus, chapter 4. When you're there, say amen. 
Are you there? Exodus chapter 4, Moses has finally surrendered to the call of God. And after he surrendered to the call of God, I want you to notice something in verse 24. The Bible says, And it came to pass by the way in the inn that the Lord met him and sought to do what? A little confusing passage, right? Who is him? Now, this is Moses in Exodus chapter 4. No manna has fallen. No Ten Commandments have been given. No Red Seas have parted. No ten plagues have been manifested in Egypt. No budding of Aaron's rod. No bringing down of quails. No pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. Not yet. No tabernacle that's reflective of the heavenly one. No Deuteronomy. No second law on the borders of the promised land. All the things that God was, was about to do through Moses, did Jesus know what those things would be? Yes or no? Before this time? Yes or no? And yet he sought to kill him. All the potential through this one life. And the Bible says, as soon as Moses answered the call, he's like, Lord, all right, fine. I'm ready to go. I'm going to go to Pharaoh. Packs up his bags, gets his wife, gets his children, starts walking. And the Bible says, God came down. Notice, he didn't send an angel. It didn't say an angel of the Lord met him. It said the Lord met him. And the Bible says, keep tracking with me. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. So he let him go. Then she said, A bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. You're like, wait a minute. What is this about? As a Jew and a descendant of Abraham, Moses was to circumcise his son. And while he was walking back to Egypt on a mission for the Lord, he had received the call and the call was clear. And while he was walking back, Jesus met him on the way to kill him. Why? Because he neglected to circumcise his son. Every time I read these verses, I'm in shock. Do you recognize this book wouldn't have even been written by Moses had the Lord killed him? And Ellen White says that Moses wrote the book of Job while he was in the wilderness. So the only book you would have had was Job. So I want you to, to follow this, how God views the neglect of small things in your mind. Now you understand that Moses is coming back. He's about to be the leader, one of the greatest men of the known history of the human race. Is Moses. Almost even greater than Abraham. Bringing the Ten Commandments down from God out of the mountain. And God says, even though I see what I can do through your life, this neglect, I'm going to take your life. And on top of this, and on top of this, it was his wife who did what Moses neglected to do. This is where I make my appeal to men. 
We may wonder why. We may wonder why there's an overabundance of women in the church. And on top of that, having to take up roles and places in the church unnecessarily. Because many men and Moseses, potential Moseses, have failed to do the small things. I had a young man come up to me one time. He said, man, you know, Sebastian, I really want to get into preaching and traveling like you and getting involved into ministry. You know, how do I get involved? Do you know any speaking appointments you can recommend me to, et cetera, et cetera? And I said, you know, <laughs> I've been preaching for seven, eight years. Now, granted, you may have just heard about me last year. Do you know how many sermons I preached before I preached those sermons? Do you know how many Bible studies I attended and two people showed up? When it was my turn to speak at church, some people said, you know, we're going to go to hear this great preacher over at this other church. And here you are, fresh out of some missionary training school, Lord, I'm ready to go to the top. I'm ready to get out there, you know, preaching all over the world. That's what I want to do. And the question is, what is your response to the small things? And you think because only three people come? Well, you know, this is small, no big deal. I'll just preach this off the cuff of my pants. Just throw this thing out and go forward. Well, you know, people end up in those places where people who gave powerful Bible studies when three people were there. Those are the ones. Because God looks down and says he's not seeking any glory. Simply interested in doing what I told him to do. David, where do you think he came from? He was passed over, wasn't even brought in before Samuel. This was a young man who was fighting bears for some sheep. Are you understanding? Who in the world would attack a lion to protect your dog? Come on, let's be real. If there was a full-blown lion in your yard and you saw your dog running, would you jump outside and start wrestling a lion? Yes or no? No, come on. I know I'm talking to somebody like me. I'm not going to defend any dog. Not for my life. <laughs> Sorry. You know, we'll have a beautiful service for you when it's over. <laughs> he was courageous. He threw one paw and it was over after that. <laughs> I'll do the eulogy. <laughs> but you recognize the fact that that kind of character is what God wanted in the heart of a man who wasn't afraid of a lion because he said, these sheep were entrusted to me. And I will fight lions and bears if need be to protect these little sheep. And God says he doesn't look on the outward appearance. He looks in the heart. And if David will fight a lion to defend sheep, Surely, he will fight that roaring lion walking about to defend my sheep. That's a king in the making. But for many of us, we disqualify ourselves from the use of God because of our neglect. We think things are small. Let me continue. 
Another statement she goes on to say, beware of what? Put it in your notes. Because some of you, this is your number one issue. Somebody say amen. Procrastination. No Bible today, oh, I'll bring my Bible tomorrow. See you tomorrow, no Bible. Procrastination. Do not put off the work of forsaking your sins and seeking purity of heart through Jesus. You know we do that, right? We're more afraid of being late to work than being cleansed of heart and walking throughout the day. I guarantee you, and I say this all the time when I preach to young people, you tell me you struggle with devotions? They're like, yeah, man, you know, it's hard sometimes. I can't wake up. I said, you know, I know the cure for your problem. It's the great controversy. They're like, the great controversy, okay. Christ and Satan, spiritual forces, okay, yeah, 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 I get it. I know that. I've heard that before. I said, okay, let me make it real for you. If you woke up and you saw two demons waiting at your door, would you leave without praying? Yes or no? Would you leave without opening your Bible? The great controversy will solve your problem. It's because it's not real to you that you can get up and just walk about your day. So the recognition of the fact that, look, we put off cleansing of our souls, forsaking of sin. If we have a sin in our lives, brothers and sisters, we need to take time. Intentional time. No television tonight. Not my favorite TV show. Take off my Facebook account and leave on my status forsaking my sins right now. Pray for me. I'm so serious. So much nonsense on these Facebook statuses. Oh, I'm struggling with my life. I hate my life. Quoting ridiculous authors and stupid songs. I'm like, this is what's going on in your mind? How about we use Facebook to be real then? If you want to be real, let's be real then. But we only want to be real when it's wickedness. When it's righteousness, we don't want to be real. And some of us, our most powerful witness is Facebook. I need to forsake my sins. Priority number one. Do you know in our pioneers, in 1844, if you thought Jesus was coming in 10 days, would your life have been the same that it was last week? These are individuals who said, I will not go to sleep unless I know that my soul is right with heaven. You know, people will be lost because of what they neglect. Did you know that? I'm going to show you that from the Bible in a minute. The statement goes on to say, here is where thousands upon thousands have erred to their eternal what? I will not here dwell upon the shortness and uncertainty of life, but there is a terrible danger, a danger not sufficiently understood in delaying to yield to the pleading voice of God's Holy Spirit, in choosing to live in sin. For such this delay really is. Sin, however small it may be esteemed, 
can be indulged in only at the peril of its infinite loss. What we do not overcome will overcome us and work out our destruction. This is where the rubber meets the road. Two kinds of people in this room. People are being overcoming by sin, people who are overcoming sin. That's it. Whatever you don't overcome, whatever I don't overcome, is overcoming us. And notice she used the pronoun us. She didn't exclude herself. Keep going. Adam and Eve persuaded who? That in so what? Small a matter as eating of the forbidden fruit, there could not result such what? Terrible consequences. As God had declared. Have you ever thought that? This statement alone would disrupt most of the nonsense in young people's lives. The questions I get, what's wrong with listening to Beyonce? Is God really going to make me lost for not giving up this jewelry? In such a small matter, <laughs> such terrible consequences should never result. That's what we think in our minds. But I want to give you an illustration of this. Let's say you're with your mom. And if your mother tells you, like my parents used to tell me, two acres of lawn, George, hot Georgia sun, Sebastian, we need you to cut the grass. It's like 12 o'clock noon in Atlanta in the summertime. I mean, 100% humidity, the pollen is visible in the air. <laughs> if you're from the South, you know what I'm talking about. It's on your car, <laughs> yellow dust. And you want me to cut two acres with a push lawnmower? <laughs> Your parents could understand if you resist to do that command, right? Because it's challenging. But if my mom says, Sebastian, can you hand me that pen over there? And I look at her and say, no, I'm not handing you that pen. I know some of you look like you might live to tell the story. Or you may wake up, bleep, bleep, bleep. His vitals are good. <laughs> Reading the newspaper about my mother in jail, you know. <laughs> but the, <laughs> sorry. But the reason why we would say that is because her request to me was so small. Why would you not hand her a pen? Are you understanding what I'm trying to illustrate? Because of what she's asking me is so small, it should make it easy to me to, for me to obey. But the very fact that I rebel on small matters is evidence of the depth of rebellion in my heart. Are you hearing me? The very fact that you're like, I can't delete this Beyonce song off my iTunes, that shows sin is deep in your being. What are you holding on to? Why is it that even if you may not understand, even if you can't see how this results. How much do you trust God? Some friends in your life need to be cut off. But Lord, I, I, I can't give up these friends. Such a small thing. And she says thousands upon thousands. This is where they err to their eternal loss. Let's keep reading 
She says, but this small matter was the transgression of God's immutable and holy law. And it separated man from God and opened the floodgates of death and untold woe upon our world. Let me provide an illustration. In South Africa, a woman is raped every 26 seconds. Do you know how that came into the world? Eating a fruit. A person attempts suicide once every 40 seconds. Do you know that statistically, as an African-American male, I don't exist in society? I should either be in prison with children from multiple women with multiple STDs, statistically. And the fact that I have a college degree just pushes you in a whole different category. In Detroit, Michigan alone, 60% of African-American males don't even finish high school. And where did that come from? Just eating a fruit. Do you see how fast sin escalated? Eating a fruit, Cain killing Abel. How did you go from eating a fruit to murdering your brother? That fast. Slippery slope. So for us to be indulging in neglect and not giving proper attention to these things, we are on our way in the downgrade. The last sentence here says, let us not regard sin as a trivial thing. If you got the phone call that your mother had died in September 11th, that's just half of how significant you should realize when you got the call, you just broke the law of God. That doesn't even register in our brains. Every act of transgression, every what? Neglect or rejection of the grace of Christ is reacting upon yourself. It is hardening the heart, depraving the will, benumbing the understanding, and not only making you less inclined to yield, but less what? Capable. That should make you afraid. Every neglect is making you more incapable of yielding to God. You start running. I was preaching in a place and a young lady said, I can't even get down and pray. That's how hard her heart was to God. I preached a sermon on min meaning in life. And the, the girl said, everything you said applies to my life and I feel no need to come to your appeal. It doesn't even touch my heart. That's where we're heading, young people. If we continue down this road of neglect. Many are quieting a troubled conscience with the thought that they can change a course of evil when they choose that they can trifle with the invitations of mercy and yet be again and again impressed. They think that after doing despite to the spirit of grace, after casting their influence on the side of Satan in a moment of terrible extremity, they can change their course. But this is not so easily done. The experience, the education of a lifetime has so thoroughly molded the character that few then desire to receive the image of Jesus. This is where we're going. Couple more statements. Even how many? One wrong trait of character. How many sinful desires? One persistently cherished will eventually neutralize all 
the power of the gospel. You got to let that one sink in. Persistently cherished. Neutralize all the power of the gospel. I don't even think we understand what the power of the gospel is. Let me tell you a story. In ancient Rome, when this persecution started for Christians, there was these 40 Christians that were being persecuted, and they decided to put them in a pool and freeze them to death in the middle of the night. We're going to take them to the iced over lake and make these Christians stand in the lake. And they said, we're going to start a fire just a little bit away from them. And as we start this fire a little bit away from them, we're going to tell them, whenever you're ready to renounce Christ, just come over to the fire. And so there they were with all the Roman soldiers and the Christians, 40 of them, sitting in the midst of this freezing lake. And they said, you're not going to leave. Either you're going to die and freeze to death or you're going to come join the fire. So while they were sitting there, there was just silence. The flickering of the flame reflecting on the water. And then the men said, in order to occupy the time and their minds, they started singing a song. Forty men of God are we, faithful forever we shall be. They kept singing it over and over. Forty men of God are we, faithful forever we shall be. Over and over. And eventually it woke up the proconsul. And he was like, who is this singing? What is this noise? So he comes down to the fire. He's like, what's going on? Here's these Christians. And there they go again. Forty men of God are we. Faithful forever we shall be. And while he's sitting there at this fire, they just keep singing this song, singing this song. And after about six hours in the pool, one of the Christians raises his hand. And he says, I renounce Christ. And he walks out of the water into the fire. They pause for a moment, shocked by their fellow Christian's choice. And then they say, 39 men of God are we. Faithful forever, we shall be. 39 men of God are we. And the proconsul was so moved, he started unbuckling his armor, dropped his shield, dropped his sword, and then he walked into the pool and he said, 40 Men of God are we. Faithful forever. We shall be. Just the words in Latin, Christianus sum, I am a Christian, was a death sentence. Men who can freeze in a pool together are not men who neglect. Even one. If we're going to come to Jesus, we got to get the full treatment. It's not the dentist, just this one tooth. Well, brother, you need some cleansing in your teeth and you need this. We're like, no, 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 no. Just this one tooth. I just have a toothache. That's not how we come to Jesus. When we come to Jesus, we need to come for the full treatment. Everything's up for grabs. All the cards are on the table, Lord. Take whatever you want. And when people see us, in spite of all that persecution, you will find that even though some may leave us, individuals will come to replace them. 
Because even though we lost one, we can still keep saying 39. And they're like, these men will not be moved. Every sinful indulgence strengthens the soul's aversion to God. In all the Bible, there is not a more fearful warning against trifling with evil than the words of the wise men that the sinner shall be holden with the cords of his sins. Last couple statements and we move on. If Joseph and Mary had stayed their minds upon God, this is when they left Jesus in the city, in Luke chapter 2, by meditation and prayer. I want you to notice something, what she says. Why they forgot Jesus. If Joseph and Mary had stayed their minds upon God by meditation and prayer, they would have realized the sacredness of their trust and would not have lost sight of Jesus. But one day's what? Neglect. They lost the Savior. You ever felt like you lost Jesus? Those days when you just feel off. When you walk into a Bible study and you feel dirty. When you walk into church and you just don't want anybody to say anything to you. But it cost them three days of anxious search to find him. So with us. I want you to notice what she says here. By idle talk evil speaking, or neglect of prayer, we may in one day lose the Savior's presence. And it may take many days of sorrowful search to find him and regain the peace that we have lost. Are you understanding the seriousness of neglect? Now I want to share something with you. And this is the last thing I want to touch on, just to give some practical things. Many attend religious services, GYC is one of them, and are refreshed and comforted by the word of God. But through neglect of three things, write them down, meditation, watchfulness, and prayer, they lose the blessing and find themselves more destitute than before they received it. Are you understanding? <laughs> you guys... Come to GYC, we come to GYC, we are blessed, we go home and end up in a worse condition because we don't meditate on what we heard. Because we don't pray about what we heard and because we're not watchful of how the devil may try to come in on the very points that have been preached about. There's two aspects to every sermon. The first one is when you listen to the sermon. The second one is when you experience it. You come up to the appeal because of what you heard. When you walk away from the appeal, now it's time to experience the sermon. We can talk about last night, the good soldier. Now you're going to be tested on whether you will actually be a good soldier. We can talk about last night not being a coward. Now you're going to be tested on whether you're actually going to have courage. You should view every sermon in this light. And sometimes your struggle and the reason why the sermon is being preached to you is not for the knowledge. It's because you still haven't practiced. Still haven't practiced. Now, I want to share a document with you to get into more practical things. So I'm going to come off my PowerPoint for a moment. And I want to share with you a document that I've been working on, preparation, 
Can you guys see this? Yes? Is that readable in the back? No? Okay, I'll, I'll blow it up a little bigger. Is that better? All right. Goals and plans for my return to Boston. So number one, in our personal lives, remember we said not to take the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard. Have we ever heard you need to have a devotional life? Yes or no? Now we need to take the more earnest heed. So this is something that I draft, and this is a document I want you to write down, and I want you to draft this document. Begin to write these categories for yourself in the seminar. I'm not just going to go over this and here's the information. We're going to practically want you to leave this seminar with this thing drafted so you can go home and work on it. The first thing is I separate it into my personal life and my ministry life. Okay? Now, let me close this thing. So, the first thing is my devotional life. This is what I wrote. It is important that I ensure that I have time each morning and evening without rush or delay. Typically, my morning time requires at least one and a half hours. The evening time simply needs to be implemented consistently at consistent times. If you ever try to have evening worship, you know what I'm talking about. Morning devotions, great. Evening devotions, uh, sometimes it's at 9 p.m., sometimes it's at 1 a.m. And I wake up on Genesis. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, how it happened to me last night, actually. <laughs> I need to revisit the spiritual education track, which I'm going to get to in a minute. It needs to be updated. Here are my commitments. This is how I want you to draft this document. So put at the top your personal life. Here I'm dealing with devotional life. If you're saying, Sebastian, I'm with you. I need to work on my devotional life. Two commitments I made. Devotional time is from 7 to 8.30 a.m. Now, GYC, that's not going to work. So I had to make some adjustments. <laughs> Second one is carry a small Bible around in car while driving the train when I ride the subway in Boston for reading little portions here and there. This helps cultivate love for the Bible, familiarity, especially concerning the busy schedule that I have. So having this little Bible that I have, as I'm walking in GYC and someone sits down and I'm waiting for someone for a meeting, break out my small Bible. And sometimes I'll start reading maybe a psalm at a time. Or I'll pick a book of the Bible that I'm not too familiar with. Let me go ahead and read through Zephaniah. And as I do that, that helps, Ellen White says, cultivate a love for Scripture by doing that. Now, let me give you some points about your devotional time. Sister White says that <laughs> many in their seasons of devotion fail to receive the blessing of real communion with God. She says they are in too great haste. They have no time to remain with the divine teacher. So let me just give you some more practical things about your devotional life. Number one, number one, she says, we need to take time to think. Amen. We look at our devotions, we just think if we stare at the Bible long enough, the words will start glowing. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, I'll start glowing and lifting up out of my seat. And like Ellen White, glory, glory, and I'll start... <laughs> being translated into heavenly atmospheres, and oh, wow, thank you, Lord. And then come back out of my room, yeah, God, you won't believe what I had this morning in my devotions. Listen to me. You need to take time to think in your devotional time. Take time to think before you leave the room. 
Number two, she says, we need to take time to pray. The chief part of Bible study is prayer. Let me tell you something that I like to do sometimes. When um, I travel different places, sometimes my schedule gets hectic. I have 25 minutes to spend with the Lord because I woke up late, have mercy. I'll take the Bible, and as I choose the passage that I'm reading, every single verse, while I'm on my knees, I will pray over that verse and say, Lord, what are you saying to me in this verse? Let me show you something. Go to John chapter 9. You guys heard me preach on this passage last year. It's like my heart passage. (laughs) It's John 9. But now. Now John 9, beginning in verse 1. This is actually how I came up with that sermon, but now. I was kneeling down. I said my quick prayer, invited the Holy Spirit to teach me. And here I came to verse 1, and it says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. I read those words, and I begin to pray over this verse. What are you saying to me? What is Jesus saying to you in this verse? And you stay there on your knees, and you pray over that verse. And Ellen White says, It'd be better for you to study a small passage and receive positive instruction." than to pursue many chapters with no instruction gained. Many of us want to read breadth and depth. Oh, I read through the whole book of Isaiah. But if I tell you to teach on it, oh, yeah, I'm not ready for that. But from this passage, this one verse, the Lord started speaking to me and he said, well, why was Jesus passing by? Because according to John chapter 8, he was running for his life. They were going to kill him. Why? Because he said, before Abraham was, I am. So here's Jesus running for his life, and he says, I have time for a blind man. Some of us, we're rushing to a seminar at GYC. We don't have time for a homeless man. We don't even have time for the sister in the hallway who may be fumbling with her things. No, I got to get to the seminar. Here's Jesus running away from men who are trying to kill him, and he sees a man who was blind from his birth, and Jesus stops. So I looked at this verse, blind from his birth. Sebastian, what have you been struggling with from birth? And the Bible says, if I've been struggling with something from birth, even though there are 5,000 plus people at GYC, Jesus says, I won't pass by you. When I see you're a person been struggling with anger from birth. Struggling with jealousy from birth. Jesus says, I won't pass by. I won't pass by. So for your devotional life, you take that verse just very practically, simply praying over it. Lord, what are you saying to me in my actual situation? In your prayer life, I want you to also remember something Ellen White says, which is to talk to God about your actual life. That means when you get up tomorrow morning, this this is something as an example. You wake up in the morning. And I want you to say, before you leave your room to come to the morning devotion, say, Lord, this morning, I'm going to be going to Tondo's morning devotion. I don't know what you're going to say to me there, but I'm asking that you prepare my heart and you put the words in her mouth. Then after that, Lord, we're going to be going on outreach. And Lord, I need courage 
favor and lead me to souls while I'm at outreach. Then Dr. Walsh will be preaching in the evening, Lord. But, you know, I have some friends along the way, and sometimes I get distracted, Lord, and I get busy, and I get tired, and I want to take a nap normally on Sabbath, but I pray just this Sabbath, Lord, give me the strength that I need. That's communion with God. And then she says, take time to wait. When you finish your devotions, when you've prayed and everything's said and done, what I want you to do is just wait. You can even sit in your chair, open your eyes, and just wait and meditate on what you were just studying. And let the Lord speak to you. She says, it is when the soul is in silence. Every other voice is hushed that the voice of God is discerned. That's what communion with God does. What's my time? I'm two minutes after. Okay. All right, so let me quickly rush through this and then I'll end. Is that okay? All right. If you need to slip out, I understand. Um, the second thing is reading. Reading. A lot of us, we don't read. Amen. I remember three years ago, my mother used to use reading as a punishment. If you're a parent, do not use reading as a punishment. When I, was beyond, when I would get on punishment as a child, it would be like a prison sentence. Bow, three years. I'm like, man, in my room. <laughs> and I would get opportunities to go outside. Every once in a while. <laughs> and my mother said, while you're in the room, read this book. Read this book. I'm like, man, I hate reading. So I became a big fan of Cliff Notes, and I was just like, Lord, this is not good. But eventually I prayed through, and I said, Lord, I need help. So three years ago, I made an agreement. I said, Lord, I'm going to start with very simple. I'm going to read at least one book every month. I picked up the book, A Thousand Shall Fall. Powerful book. I think I finished in like three days. I was like, all right, this reading stuff is not too bad. <laughs> Don't have to read again for the rest of the month. <laughs> But eventually now, brothers and sisters, over the years I've developed now, I'm reading about four to five books every month because you're exercising your mind. So here again, it is important that I take time needed to read, research, and explore. This helps keep connected to the world around us, spiritual posts in the church. So I made three commitments. Boom. Number one, I want to surf the internet for news, check out different blogs, campus websites, you know, different universities that I work with. I love TED Talks, if you're familiar with those. I like to watch those, see what people are talking about. And then my other goal is to read at least two books per month. At least. That means you have to make time to read. I guarantee you, when you do that, you're going to find your mind is just going to work in a different way. Here I have, um, I'm making myself very vulnerable. This is actually mine. This is a document I made for myself. Family and friends. I found the blessing in reconnecting with my family and friends quite helpful during my time here in Georgia. My mother seems to be opening up more and more to spiritual things. And my friends are definitely in need of leadership and a carer. I met with some of my old friends before I knew Jesus. I don't even have the time to even tell you. So I started making commitments. I'm going to call my mom every Sunday. Every Sunday just to pray with her. Let her know that I love her. And I'm hoping that she's doing well in whatever ways I can help. Two, I have called or text some of my friends. Every Monday, Monday's going to be my day where I contact some of these people to keep in touch with them. Let me move that up for you. 
And also I need to contact, you know, campus people in Michigan. I have missionaries in Michigan and missionaries in Boston, and sometimes I get divided in my time, and so I make commitments to do that. Also, I see exercise as something that's very important for me as well. I like to exercise, but I must be asleep by 10 p.m. if I'm going to exercise. And so here I have, here's my commitment, must sleep by 10 p.m. each night, no exceptions except for ministry and the Heavenly Father's providence. The Lord leads me in the conversation, so be it. Here's my prayer time, talking about prayer, um, relationship, um, discipleship chart. I don't have time to explain all that. Um, and then into my ministry life. I want to mention two things from ministry life. The first one is this one here, midday service. Each day at the Amory House, it's the missionary house in Boston, I'm planning on conducting a study for about 30 minutes regarding prophecy, sanctuary, other distinctive SDA studies, which are essential to our identity as a church. And these are my commitments. I'm going to set a time, and I'm going to start scheduling topics and times to do that. We need to build ministry into our schedules. Are you following what I'm saying? Very, very important. Start making a commitment. This is what I'm going to do in my household. This is what I'm going to do in my time. So anyway, I got to stop here so that you guys can get a break. <laughs> so I can get a break, too. Um, and we'll come back in the next session. I think it starts in about eight minutes. But let's go ahead and stand for prayer. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for how you've guided, how you've uh, impressed us, Lord, how you've strengthened us how you've challenged us, you've even cut us to the heart today. And Lord, we, we have some serious decisions to make. But we're ready, Father. We're open to change. And as we place every important aspect of our lives on the table, what we are looking forward to is to see what Jesus would do as we collaborate with him. Continue, Lord, to keep us faithful, to watch over us, to guide us, Lord, and to make sure we take these things to heart regarding neglect and the importance of giving the more earnest attention, the proper attention to the things that we have heard. Continue to keep us faithful as we depend upon Jesus and the power of his blood. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This message was produced by GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. GYC seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians in contemporary contexts. To download or purchase other resources like this, or if you have been blessed by GYC and would like to donate, visit gycweb.org or email info at gycweb.org. You could also reach us via mail at P.O. Box 3786 Ann Arbor, Michigan, 48106. This recording is licensed under Creative Commons. This means you can copy and share it with anyone you'd like. Please attribute this recording to GYC wherever you reuse it. And keep in mind that resale and alteration are strictly prohibited.